Welcome to the 11th episode of Capture Q. Today's guest is David Gunwin. Gunwin is the owner of Ubuntu Canteen, but he's also an advocate. He's written about the state of the Anthropocene, and he's talked about how modern agriculture affects our warming climate. He's also discussed how reconnecting to the soil and our food systems can aid our mental health. And at this stage in his career, he's chosen to focus on the most important aspect of life, community. Today, we discuss these issues and more, so I hope you enjoy the show. You can follow us on Instagram at CaptureQ, and you can also visit us at CaptureQ.com. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. It's neat that everything, you know, seeing all of your interests, and I think that it, yeah, not a lot of people have that understanding of how, you know, food plays into everything. So mm-hmm. if you want to just a little intro. Okay. Yeah. Um, who you are, what you do. Uh, my name is David Gunawan. I am the owner of Ubuntu Canteen in Vancouver. A question I have here is, so you own the canteen, but mm-hmm. you also, you devote a lot of energy and, and your time and obviously, you, you know, your own awareness into advocating for thinking about food differently than just, you know, something you go to the grocery store and consume, but also it being something that addresses climate change. I guess if you want to explain a little bit about why... Why that's important to you? I mean, it's a myriad of things. I, I believe as a human, we have to contribute to, to our society, to our humanity, you know, to our environment. I mean, it didn't really come that naturally for me. Uh, it took a little, I think it took a long road to get here. So when I was younger and ambitious, a little more ambitious than now, I guess, like a lot more maybe. Uh, <laughs> I was pursuing things for the sake of, of, of validation, of, of belonging, of compensating my own uh, deficiency, you know, my insecurity. So yeah, food was a, I, I had a very intimate relationship with food because it's, you know, it's brought me so far with no formal uh, education or training behind uh, what I do. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a miracle or in some ways a blessing, mm-hmm. you know, so I have a lot to be grateful for. And so I think, you know, given the platform now, I have the responsibility to, to sort of have an opinion, you know, have a voice. Mm-hmm. When there's an audience, I think you have the responsibility to to speak to them in a responsible way, in a in a communicative way, in a positive way. You know, things that could evoke some sort of emotional change or you know, a catalyst at least to to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's where we are now. Um, when I was a lot younger, it's all about the recognition. It's all about the accolade. It's all about you know, look what I can do in this sort of generation of chefs, right? It's all mm-hmm. about the stardom and the fame. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, things got a little tired and I, I I found that exhausting. And so we opened this place with the intention of being a, a community hub, of being mm-hmm. a, a place where people can gather freely, you know, work freely, work in an environment that's positive, uh, work in an environment that's safe, um, non-discrimination, all that stuff. So, yeah, we, we work hard towards mm-hmm. all those things and i think it's gotten to the point where we're, we're actually comfortable with who we are and what mm-hmm. we do mm-hmm. i did have a question here about because you know you host talks obviously before covid you have community markets you'd have film nights you'd have public lectures and talks um kids section long table is community has been you know we know now i think if if, if we're fortunate to have fallen on the information that it is healing um mm. It's an important part of of life that is really missing. How has 
COVID affected that for you or, or even some of your your regulars? Is, is it something that comes up often? Yeah, I mean, what COVID has brought to us, it's a moment of, of reflection, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of really dismantling our own reality before this and giving us an opportunity to, to, to reevaluate what is important and what is not important to us what we want out of life, perhaps, and given the resources, of course, not everybody has that sort of, uh, opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for those of us who has, I think it is a, it's a wonderful time to reset the button, you know? And all this time, we, we, we're trying to change an engine in the, of the plane midair, mm-hmm. you know, which is almost impossible to do. And so now all the planes have landed. This is a moment to, to reconfigure our system yeah, it, it comes with a lot of struggle. I mean, it also comes with a lot of desire to innovate, to rethink about what works and what doesn't work for us in the perspective of life choices, right? Because before this, we we're just hustling. And I, like you said, in New York, you know, um, no matter how hard we work, we're still behind. Mm-hmm. So we, we were at that point before COVID. And now I think we're to that point where we can actually achieve what we want somewhat with the support of our community really mm-hmm. um, you know our hours are slightly shorter and our staff are working less and yet we're still okay you know it's, it's nice it's That's nice awesome. to have that sort of uh, opportunity to, to give our staff back the hours that they put in before mm-hmm. um, you know not, not compromising their wages and, and giving them a livelihood that they, they deserve so yeah, it's been great really nice. it's been great all around um of course, uh, March to July was a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. So it took a little while to get where we are, to where we are now. Hopefully, this will continue. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing, too, for listeners, um, because they can't see us, uh, we're actually at the back of Ubuntu in an outside tent that you set up. So the sounds they may hear is uh, <laughs> rustling. It's a bit windy. But um, yeah, it's really neat that you've, you've been able to innovate and move and you know kind of shift so that you do have the option to be outdoors even in the winter and you have a, is this a, what type of stove? <laughs> yeah, you it's want a to camping this? stove, yeah. Yeah, it looks really cool. Um, how does it work? Uh, it was actually designed for a, uh, uh, the refugee crisis back in, I guess, in 2016 when there's a massive migration. And so this person innovated this, this lightweight stove uh, in order to supply the, the, the camps with oh, all those wow. things. So it was a crowdfunding project that I just bought into, and I haven't used it since. So like this is oh, the first no time I pulled it out of the box. That's incredible. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, we should use it. Anyway, Perfect. Yeah, it's a small little heating device. Uh, you know. Very neat. So um, occasionally we, we, we put up this tent. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm also so grateful to have the staff that we have. You know, we, we've, we haven't laid anyone off, and we've had the same team. Wow. Since pre-COVID, and so we were able to pivot very quickly and maneuver really quickly in mm-hmm. in so many different circumstances. Yeah, it's, it's a very collective effort, I would say. I like what you said about giving time back because I, I don't have this written down as a question, but I did see in the financial post or something there was like this man speaking about time theft. So time theft from employers, and it was this big ordeal. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was really interesting because I had just seen a study that said that with taking the commute out people are actually hopping on their computers at 8 a.m instead of nine people mm-hmm. are staying later because mm-hmm. they can just grab a snack from the kitchen right there and they don't mm-hmm. have to worry or maybe mm-hmm. their kids are right there so they don't have to run out of the yeah. office to pick them up and so i kind of thought about it as this concept of 
someone, you know, during this time, they either think of their staff as people stealing from them, taking their time, mm. um, you know, not working hard enough, or it's almost this disdain they have towards their employees. So it's really refreshing and nice when you, mm-hmm. you know, you do see the editorials saying people are actually working way harder. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's data to prove it, and like yeah. you said, there's you can recognize as a as a business owner that before COVID, people may have been putting so much more time as well into it and and to recognize the time that people are putting in that maybe isn't paid or, or you know, it's overtime or whatever. And mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed and re- reached. I mean, everything <laughs> needs to be readdressed. Anyway. We can't yeah. see human value as a commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the problem. You know, it's a, tra- it's a daily transaction. You yeah. gave a little, you have a little. It's, and then, exactly. and it's, it's done in a way that is respectful, that is uh, transparent and honest. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, like, manipulation of any way. There is no exploitation in any way. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody is very clear about their own role and their own responsibility in order to sustain what we do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, in return, they have a, an amazing workplace, I would say. I, I love Absolutely, working here, yeah. you know, and I'm sure most of my staff feels the same way. And, you know, we provide benefits and all that stuff just so mm-hmm. they have a peace of mind. So nice. So it's, it's great. Yeah, like, um, I'm really grateful to have them as much as they are, you know, happy to be here. Of I, course. I hope, yeah, yeah it, it is a neat thing to think about when... You know, I think you attract what you put out, and if you're if if you are a person who respects others and who cares mm-hmm. about others, you're going to attract employees who respect and care about you as well. I think it's yeah, kind I of hope just so. The natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, I guess we could shift it over to. I kind of want to talk a little bit about climate in the Anthropocene. So you posted about the peril of food waste and the disconnection we have to our food production systems. Mm-hmm. You say that there's a sacred value to food that is different than what we know as, you know, a commodity or just mm-hmm. the economic value or just yeah. the, the nourishment value. What is the sacred value of food? It is a, the sacredness of food is, you have to look at it in a way, it's a, it's a life-sustaining form of, of nourishment. You know, we die of food where, where we simply won't exist. Mm-hmm. So there's that symbiotic relationship between the earth that produced the food for us to eat in order for us to live, right? It's not this sort of unnatural thing that we, we just take or we just buy from the store. It actually has to be grown somewhat naturally and has to be grown through the, the resources of Mother Nature, right? Mm-hmm. And we're highly dependent on, on, on everything that contributes to the well-being of the plants. Yeah. And so I think in order to have that relationship, we, we need to reconnect, to have an idea that we are not the dominant creature in this sort of anthropocenic uh, generation and that we are impacted by everything that we do. Mm-hmm. There is an element of spirituality in this, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how people disdain that sort of notion of, you know, spiritual existence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we cannot deny our own uh, history yeah. and our own existence within the confine of this earth. Mm-hmm. You're definitely an advocate for a lot of indigenous rights, but what I found really interesting kind of about the connection when I first understood ethnobotany, the relationship between indigenous peoples and indigenous plants, A, is spiritual, but B, is also, it's just a different approach to what we've kind of done with our modern agriculture. It's more, as you say, give back, you Mm -hmm. know, return Mm -hmm. to the soil what you take out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with, we have... Michael Pollan, we have Joel Salatin, Dan Barber, all of these kind of chefs or food advocates that are talking a lot more about 
soil. There's that new documentary, Kiss the Ground, mm-hmm. um, just about returning things to the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that affect climate change? I mean, agriculture has always been the biggest contribution to, to global warming. You know, the way we grow food is never sustainable, you know, stemming from the Green Revolution, who what, initially was a, was a noble intent, right, like to feed a growing population. But of course, with the with the addition of chemicals, with the addition of, of unnatural form of nutrients to the soil, you mm-hmm. know, the the synthetic use of fertilizers, and all this takes a lot of resources to produce. It takes a lot of fossil fuel to produce, and obviously that's a big contribution to climate change. And now, let alone the notion of monoculture, right, mm-hmm. eradicating all wildlife and all native species in order to grow something that is of convenient to to grow, of convenience to harvest. Right, all these are be very, very unnatural approach to feeding the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't really know if if permaculture or small organic farming could really sustain our lifestyle. Maybe not. Maybe yes, but we've never done it in that scale, right? Mm-hmm. So, but we know for a fact that organic and permaculture, it's always been the least, Im- the least impact mm-hmm. on on soil degradation, on the health of the soil, on on greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. Because it's done in a very small scale, it's done in a in a very thoughtful, intentional way, that is uh, respectful to the to the environment, respectful to to the law of nature. I mean, this is the thing: like, the law of nature is not something that we can negotiate with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's very simple: you either follow the rules or you don't follow the rules and suffer the consequences, like what we're seeing now. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think agriculture has a lot of impact. Mm-hmm. In the in the way of climate change, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There is that one. It's a heartbreaking scene in David Attenborough's new. It's a documentary. Uh-huh. I think it's about his life, but it it really impacted me. Where they, you know, in the Amazon, they're plowing down the very biodiverse rainforest that's a home to so many species, and mm-hmm. they're planting palm trees mm-hmm. or palm fruit oil. Uh-huh. And and then you see the orangutans are kind of lost. They don't have their, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're not swinging between the trees. They're not going mm-hmm. to the ground to mm-hmm. gather food. They're not. And it's so sad and it's so impactful. But then I read, because I, you know, I kind of wanted to do a letter writing campaign to everybody who uses palm fruit oil. <laughs> yeah. And then you realize that if, if they're not using that, they're still plowing the Amazon to plant some more things, um, whether it's coconut oil or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is that, as you mentioned, the, the kind of the monoculture mm-hmm. thinking of, of our agricultural system that is it just maybe happening too much. Yeah, I think it's the notion of extractionist theory, right? Like you take over an indigenous land and you exploit it in a way that is beneficial to your wealth, beneficial to your power. I mm-hmm. mean, it is that idea of colonialism at, at stake. Yeah. And so, in, I mean, obviously this question should be presented to, to many other people too, but in your opinion, how do you think that we... You know, I've seen you, you source from some, you know, wild foraging and, and mm-hmm. all of that throughout your career. Um, but how do you think we can better build those relationships and help assist that knowledge that our, you know, in, in Canada, our indigenous population has? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I think the most impactful way is to aid people to have this relationship with themselves. You know, I think the distance between our heart and our brain is also like one of the furthest distance in any sort of equitable measurement you know uh, until we figure out how to get there I mean there's no change in this world Mm -hmm. 
the idea of like just even respecting yourself, understanding your own, you know, body and your own mind and your own mental health and your own spiritual health and your own, you know, relationship with with the world is is like the most important factor in mm-hmm. to overcome. I think we have that disconnection. You know, we have that thing. Oh dear, why is my back? Aching, you know, they don't understand that the, this emotional suffering that they have relates to that physical pain, you know. So un- until you find that sort of relationship as real as mm-hmm. as something that's contributing to all your physical pain, we won't be able to get to where we need to be. You know, we need to understand everything that we suffer from is related to the to the suffering of the world, right? Whether it be conscious on a subconscious level, absolutely. Yeah, so that has to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to have a relationship with ourselves and have a relationship with others. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of us has no clue on how to get there, and we are not governed by that uh, mentality in the school system. Right? We're not emotionally intelligent enough to to understand that because this is not something that is taught in school. Mm-hmm. You know, the school system has always been geared towards capitalism, towards uh, a functioning body in a society, in a functioning body of commercialism. Right? You're not taught that you have to study this in order to be a better human. You say you're taught to study this so you can be this profession, you can have that occupation in order to feed this machine. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's a deep-rooted subject. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. This is actually kind of a nice pivot to some of the questions that I had. You actually, uh, through a post, you posted about comfort farms. So everyone knows veterans are kind of, they were almost the teachers of what everyone understands is PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone can have it for many different reasons, going mm-hmm. back to childhood. That just affects your nervous system, just makes you function different in society. What I thought was neat about comfort farms is they, so they're, it's a farm that is uh, connecting veterans to the soil and to nature and to the land mm-hmm. um, and to labor. They kind of lay it out that they are trying to heal the PTSD of these veterans. Do you want to talk a little bit about, I, I'm sure you could probably explain them more yeah. than I do. Uh, I just thought it's interesting. Also, like, a good friend of mine, Michael Abelman, started a soul food farm and, you know, we've We've had a good relationship, and I learned so much from him just on the intention that he has, you know, by creating soul food. And it's exactly the same thing, you know, reconnecting mm-hmm. people to the to the source of food, but most importantly, giving them a true purpose in life. Yeah. You know, when uh, I think the, the the peril of the world is that we lost a sense of belonging, you know, Absolutely, because yeah. you know all of us are migratory creatures. You know, we some of us has been displaced some of us yeah. uh, migrate because of other reasons when we travel in such an abrupt sort of uh, circumstances we tend to leave a lot of things behind and that that longing is something that c- we carry in, in our in our dna in ourselves mm-hmm. so when you lose that sense of home you get lost and when you get lost you get confused and it leads to a lot of sadness a lot of anger a lot of resentment and and this is the problem right like the consequences of residential school system you know Mm -hmm. to eradicate a culture to eradicate language to eradicate you know that sense of belonging is a very powerful uh, Mm -hmm. deliberation and I think it's been done with such purpose for that for that result and they did it. Of course, there, I mean, there's a lot of resilience in us, right? Like, mm-hmm. in the context of evolution, we're just a microcosm in that timeline. Yeah. So I think resilience will, will carry us back to where we need to be. And I hope there is an awakening for that 
And yeah, and then you know what Michael did in in on the downtown East Side is so powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, reconnecting people to food and and allowing them to see that their their body can produce this sort of growth. You know, beautiful things, beautiful food that no one has ever given them the permission to do so to create something beautiful, to create something meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. And this is probably the most powerful gift that you can give to someone that they have this purpose. They have yeah. this ability to create something beautiful, and and telling that person that you're you're amazing, you're enough. You know mm-hmm. they've never been told that way. Absolutely. They've never been spoken that to that way. That they, they you know they have no value. Mm-hmm. And so giving anyone, for that matter, anything of purpose is is a powerful gift. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the notion of comfort farm, the notion of soul food in Vancouver. It's it's amazing. It's an amazing enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Michael Abelbaum and Soul Food for people who don't know, he hired people who were had substance use disorder mm-hmm. to help him grow the produce in his farms, kind of urban planning mm-hmm. or urban farming. And yeah, I, I've met a few of them that you just see life return mm-hmm. to their eyes, and, mm-hmm. and they have a, a again a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of goes back to my initial question of that. I'm glad you talked about dislocation theory and, mm-hmm. and how when someone doesn't have those roots and those, you know, the culture, the traditions, the language, the, fam- the family, mm-hmm. everything, you do feel alone. Mm-hmm. And you may not know it consciously, but mm-hmm. it's part of our evolution and we do need that, mm-hmm. that sense of connection and belonging to... And I mean, you just look at the brain and that's all the neurochemicals that are released, serotonin, mm-hmm. endorphins, all of that um, from that belonging. So mm-hmm. it's very important. I thought they were really neat. I didn't make that parallel between soul food and comfort farms, you know, whether it's people who have used drugs or people who have been in war, they're mm-hmm. still going through the same PTSD and, and the mm-hmm. connection is helping. It's really lovely. In being an activist, do you feel that sometimes it isn't about you know, posting 10 posts on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do it in a different way that maybe if someone's too shy to go to the streets or they're too shy to yell or hold a banner, mm-hmm. how could they contribute to change in society for the better? Yeah, I mean, there's a parallel of social media, right? Like, you, <laughs> activism comes in the form of a click. Some of the comes in the form of forwarding a message that may not be necessarily yours to carry, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I just heard the CBC radio show about this matter, you know. I think you have to reflect about uh, the notion of who you are and where you come from before you can prophesize any message towards other people. Mm-hmm. Um, really reflect your position in this sort of fight. Where are you uh, complicit in this? You know, and that's all it takes. If you can acknowledge that, and that's really bigger than anything else can anyone can expect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're looking always looking internally before fighting a fight that's not yours to fight. Yeah, you also talked a little bit about connecting to your body with Yin Yoga, mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned you know back problems and emotional <laughs> problems and yeah. all of this. And, and you've had people come and talk. Michael Tabak Kelly, the holistic psychotherapist, mm-hmm. and then Bruce Sanguin. Is it Sanguin? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess just connecting to your body in a different way. You and I, and many people who know about yeah. you and come here. They know that food is one way you can do it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of being physical and being kind of emotionally connected to your body is, we see the rise of yoga, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about yin in particular that is? Well, I think, 
yoga has so many different positions in, in people's life. It could be a form of exercise. It could be a form of, of physical activity. It could be a, even a form of social gathering, a form of belonging to a certain group. I mean, to me, yin kind of saved my life in so many ways. You know, it, it gives me the moment to pause. And mm-hmm. I think the, the, the biggest thing is for everyone to take away from yin is sitting in the sort of uncomfortable position for a really long time and understand why it is so uncomfortable. Why are you mm-hmm. struggling with this pose? Why are you struggling with a certain pose? Why are you struggling in this moment? It may not be a pose. It might, it might just be your anxiety mm-hmm. that you're Absolutely. not comfortable sitting with. So yin allows you to sit with the discomfort and identify them and have a, a name for this discomfort, have a name for your feelings and sensations, and then you can befriend them. So, I mean, the idea in, in, in this perversion of Western culture is that everyone's seeking enlightenment. I mean, like yeah. the first rule of Buddhism is, you know, life is suffering yeah. and there's no way out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is mm-hmm. nowhere to go. So either you make friends with all this uh, discomfort or you suffer in a more permanent way. Absolutely. Right? So when you identify them, you, you, you befriend them and know where they are and where they live. And so when they come and greet you, you can, you can confront it with, with the more gentler sort of idea rather than running away from them. So like, I, love, I love that about Yin. This is like getting off work or at the end of the night where I just switch off all the lights and have that moment to myself. You know, mm-hmm. when the world is stopped and you're here processing all the activity, you know, all the day to day, all the anxiety, all the love, all the things and yeah. just embracing each one of them and then, you know, watch them all go away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really important too because I've I've always had two interests. One is food. I mean, politics for sure. It's more entertainment, but yeah. food and <laughs> and um, looking at addiction and, and the root causes. Uh-huh. And I used to think they were separate, but one time someone told me, you know, food is addiction too for many, many, many. Oh, people. absolutely. I believe. Yeah, 100%. and I think what you just said there is a really interesting thing to address: is that when we are in the throes of addiction, there's it's that it's not being able to stop and pause it's when's the next thing when's the next you mm-hmm. know you want the next the stimulus gambling yeah. or the and, it, and it's not being able to leave that you know the cue routine reward mm-hmm. of just that you know they say the lizard brain just seeking pleasure over and mm-hmm. over and over and mm-hmm. not giving pause and so i think that you know if people are struggling whether it's they're on the downturn side and they are they're using and, and we're seeing horrible things with drug poisoning down there or they're, you know, in their West Van home and they can't stop eating chips. Mm-hmm. How is it that we can just have that moment? And I think that really, you mm-hmm. said it beautifully there. I mean, this is a stigma, right? Like, I mean, addiction is an addiction. If you read Gabor Mate, mm-hmm. he admits his own addiction to classical music. Yeah. And he's no different from the patients that he's treating. Absolutely. You know, there's no, absolutely not. I mean, the, he still suffers from this anxiety, the same thing that they suffer mm-hmm. from. I mean, there's a lack of better words, right? Mm-hmm. It's just how we perceive those addiction and how we justify them. And, you know, why is one thing okay and the other thing not okay? Absolutely. And maybe we're all suffering from the same thing. Government has been an incredible mm-hmm. um, guide. I think for many people in Vancouver, everybody kind of, he showed the link between childhood trauma and addiction. Mm-hmm. And I guess just explaining it's that lack of building those, the ability to produce endorphins on your own. 
because you had a loving parent that looked you in the eyes and then mm-hmm. touched you. And then, you know, for someone who didn't have that, mm-hmm. later they pick up a drug or whatever it is, mm-hmm. buy classical music, they feel that love for the first time and it's so powerful. So I like that you said that and we can have compassion and realize that, you know, maybe someone's using drugs, but it's the same problem that mm-hmm. they had. Mm-hmm. But for many people, it's hard for them to look at that. You know, your in-house talks. You had someone talk about childhood trauma. Did you notice a lot of people were interested, or was that something people were like, "That's weird"? Why would you? <laughs> well, I took a lot that? of courage. I, I think for the people who showed up, it took a lot of courage for them to show up. I mean, there is still that stigma of mental health, you know, Absolutely. within our society, and it's hard for people to admit that they have a problem. I mean, I don't look at it as a problem. It's something mm-hmm. that we were adapted or we were born into something, you know, uh, because of the lack of resources, the lack of attention, the lack of affection, the lack of anything. So, I mean, it takes a lot of contribution in order to raise a perfect human, mm-hmm. you know. Like, it doesn't take much to, to traumatize someone. It could just be one thing and you carry that for all your life until you resolve to those pain. You'll always be carrying that pain. So, I mean, pain is also something that we never want to confront. I mean, we're so afraid of pain. Mm -hmm. And so we do everything to avoid them. Yeah. And this is the problem with this current society and current generation is that we're projected to be this happy being all the time. And there's no room for for anything other than happiness, other than this sort of uh, love that it can commodify, right? Like yeah. we have this idea that love can only be one thing, <laughs> and and one thing they can sell to you, you know, that sort of lifestyle, that the sort of impression, but it's not the case, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is in talking about capitalism. I think there's an interesting, you know, obviously this unregulated, unfettered version that we have today kind of the late stage capitalism of infinite growth so Mm -hmm. you know you have a company and it does well the ceo makes a hundred thousand all the employees are paid quite well you know you have a great product all of that but the market if you're a publicly traded company demands Mm. that you grow more so then the ceo goes okay we have to cut some of these wages or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we have to you know source maybe not from that local artisan we have to source from somebody Mm -hmm. who makes it quicker and faster to always increase the bottom line for the Mm -hmm. shareholders that version of capitalism gets a lot of attention but the one thing that i struggle with the debate around it is i look at something you know i love restaurants Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love restaurants that source well and they do good things and they care about their employees that is a version of capitalism too how do we in this discussion Mm -hmm. I guess address that dichotomy of if you can make enough money, you can pay your staff well, you can, you know, source from great people who do great things. Mm-hmm. Is that a net benefit for society? Do we want to run away from that entirely? I mean, we're all stuck in this financial realm, right? It's a system that we have created for ourselves. And I think to understand, well, we have to understand how the financial system works in order to play within that boundary. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can choose an alternative at this moment unless, you know, all six billion of us decided that money is no longer an important object. All at once. <laughs> all at once. <laughs> the rise of a different currency. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there is, there is a few system in place. There is an idea in place. Coincidentally, there's a book called Ubuntu. It's all about the idea of an alternative system that is based on transaction rather than money. You know, one of the theories is that if you can give, say like you have a farm, 
you're fortunate enough to own a piece of land and that you can grow a certain amount of food. And if you believe in this contributionist theory, you would get a certain number of people to work for you. And, you know, a percentage of that goes back to those people. And then you say you decided to keep 20% of their revenue and then the rest of it you give away. Mm-hmm. You'll have a more sustainable economy. Yeah. And then you, if you grow excess of that uh, expectation, then you give the, you continue to give to the rest outside of that circle. Mm-hmm. And, okay. you know, your bottom line is actually, actually more than you, what you would have made. If you had to employ those, say, six people I and see. give them the wage, you know, so oh, okay. like you contribute. Yeah, it's, 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 I, I haven't finished the book yet. It's, it's, it's called Ubuntu, actually. Nice. Um, uh, Michael Tallinger. It's about uh, how to create a society through having a community that contributes rather than take. Ah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the indigenous tradition of mm. potlatches. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You Absolutely, know, yeah. Trading. I, I know how to sell, you know how to make bread. Absolutely. We, you know, we trade. I think uh-huh. that. So, yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's not just either capitalism or socialism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's, there's other models. Mm-hmm. So that is cool. Okay. I like that. Yeah. We've covered a lot. Is there anything else that you, <laughs> yeah, you want to add, I guess? Obviously, this is a time of scarcity to a lot of people. And, and if you have extra, you should spread it out a bit more, you know? Obviously, we're, we're, I mean, fear is such a, a governing body in our society, right? Like, how can we you know, dispel this notion of fear and create a world that is safe, you know, create a world that's embracing love? And, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that, again, is coming back to our original discussion about self-loving. You know, if you can't love yourself, how can you love other people? Absolutely. So figure out that relationship with yourself. Take a moment to think about your relationship with yourself, you know, uh, instead of fighting someone else's fight, how about fight your own fight? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, again, comes back to the sense of belonging. You know, if you belong to yourself, then you'll be more at peace with yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's really important, too, for people um, struggling with there is social isolation, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the distancing and, and all of the recommendations to to protect people and make sure that the virus doesn't spread so fast. People are struggling a lot with that of oh, absolutely. connecting with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's an absolute testing time for people who, who hadn't built those sort of community, who hadn't built that sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. This is the consequences of that, you know, when you're yeah. so busy working, you, you neglected all the things that are important to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We did uh, actually start out before we were recording talking about, you said there is a, a beauty in realizing that you know, your father, you have this child and kind of just taking that moment to realize this, this love is pure and this love is real. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabor Manti talks a lot about reconnecting with your inner child. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you have thought about, that pure love and giving that to yourself as well as, as having that with your child? Yeah, I think we, and in, in the Western culture, we have this linear thought of time, right? Like time, time is a very linear sort of idea, but when we go into uh, the other realm of the reality, we realize that, you know, the past, present, and future is all one dimension. Mm-hmm. And so your inner child is always with you, you know. You, you don't leave your past behind. And 
you know, having a child now of my own, I, I'm able to reconnect with my own inner child, you know, remembering those moments where I didn't feel safe, remembering those moments that I felt love. And so the ability to connect with your own history is also important, mm -hmm. right? Like, because you always be confronted with situations and circumstances that triggers your emotions. So, yeah, having this moment with my child often leads me back to my own childhood that I can reconcile. You know, there was a lot of things I didn't reconcile in my childhood. You know, I, I did a lot of work in the, in the form of plant medicine. Um, mm -hmm. And that has led me to where I am now. I know, Incredible. Yeah. So would it be Ibogaine or Ayahuasca? Yeah, I did a lot of... I, I've been working with this Ayahuasca for about seven years now. Incredible. Um, and, and yeah, I form a very beautiful community around that and friended a lot of amazing healers. And, you know, through that, I'm trying to influence my own community with, you know, compassion and resources to help them. Wonderful. Yeah. One thing about, you know, the rise in interest in ayahuasca is people do have to be careful because there are kind mm -hmm, of bad mm -hmm. actors who are who are offering it. I remember Gabor told me that. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, be careful. Re make sure that yeah, you're, yeah. It's, it is a shaman. It mm -hmm. is. This isn't a party drug. <laughs> and you'll <laughs> no, find no. that out. Yeah. And yeah, so that that's beautiful. So are you connecting people who are curious with people who practice it or who teach or um, kind of lead those ceremonies? Yeah, I think... The plan will always reach to the person who needs it most. You know, nice. I don't try to prophesize. I don't try to advocate. It's like very magical moment of encounters where people come to your life and then you lead them to this particular direction and they become Wonderful. a whole different person. Very cool. You know, you don't you don't really talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really. yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cosmic consciousness always have ways to reach the people who are ready for this journey. Awesome. You know, the people who are ready to be awakened, or right? mm -hmm. you can't force someone to, to be who they're not ready to be. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing yeah. everything. I mean, for this, of course, but everything else. It's I love seeing everything you guys do at Ubuntu. It's, yeah, we're trying. <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome, and keep yeah. you know keep the community aspect going as mm -hmm. much as it. I'm sure it's so hard. Yeah. There's it I look hard. forward to a day with yeah. talks again. That would be. Yeah, we're we're working on that. Mm -hmm. awesome no, thank well, you for having me yeah. of course yeah, yeah. Um, we can end there